Sometimes you just need a quick overview of the news. Other times you need a deeper understanding of what's going on. The Rundown Podcast has all of that, and it's Chicago-based, so you know what's up in your neighborhood and across town. Listen to The Rundown wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Justin Kaufman, and this is Reset. Protests at the statue of Christopher Columbus in Grant Park turned violent last weekend. Demonstrators tangled with police as they approached and tried to tear down the statue of Christopher Columbus near Roosevelt Road. Mayor Lightfoot said today that the violence was brought on by a small group who were looking for confrontation with police. A group of vigilantes. You're going to see video that shows these people before they got to the Columbus statue, kneeling down, dressing in all black, with goggles, forming a phalanx with umbrellas and with shields around them, and then pummeling the police with projectiles. She also said that cops need to maintain their professionalism. I'm not happy um, about some of the things that I saw with people who were injured. I'm not happy and don't support uh, interfering with reporters doing their job. The Civilian Office of Police Accountability, or COPA, said Sunday that it's now investigating 20 complaints related to Friday night's protest. At least four demonstrators were hurt during the confrontation, and private property like bikes and wallets were confiscated at the scene. So what rights do protesters have in these situations, and what recourse is there? Brad Thompson is a civil rights and criminal defense lawyer for the National Lawyers Guild and People's Law Office, and Karen Sheely is the director of the Police Practices Project for ACLU Illinois. Karen, Brad, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. All right, so let's address the violence aspect of what happened over the weekend. Peaceful protesters were mixed in with demonstrators. You just heard the mayor talking about an organized vigilante force, as she called it. A lot of peaceful attendees who were there were struck by police. Uh, there's footage of it. What rights do protesters have uh, when it comes to the use of force? I'll start with you, Brad. Yes. When people are at demonstrations, they have a First Amendment right to protest, and they have a Fourth Amendment right to be free from seizures, and that includes the use of force. Uh, and so when people are attending a demonstration, they should not be subjected to violence by the police. And it's very notable that, you know, these are demonstrations that are being called for to speak out against police violence. And what we're seeing in recent weeks has been widespread uses of violence indiscriminately against these protesters who are there to oppose police violence. Well, what recourse do they have uh, if somebody feels like they were roughed up at the protest, that they were peacefully protesting, they weren't throwing rocks or shooting off fireworks at police officers? What recourse do they have beyond just uh, reporting it to the police? So the two general options that people have are one that was referenced is the Civilian Office of Police Accountability, or COPA. And that is the city entity that investigates allegations of police misconduct. The other general option is filing civil rights lawsuits. And that's where a person becomes plaintiff and sues for their rights being violated by the police. Mm -hmm. And typically, our office at People's Law Office, we generally, if people are pursuing and interested in pursuing the civil rights lawsuit, actually discourage people from filing complaints with COPA because the COPA process can actually 
create negative implications in a potential civil hmm. rights. Interesting. So there's some uh, dualities there. Um, Karen, I want to bring you in here. You heard the mayor talking about this vigilante group, and, and you've heard the police chief talking about it, and, and even some who are critical of protesters, that there's this idea that the protesters, quote unquote, started it. So the police had no other uh, recourse than to protect themselves and to um, uh, push back. This is not just in Chicago. This happens all over the country. But just for what happened at, uh, at the statue on Friday night, what are the rights in that case? Is, is that in the police code to push forward and, and to be able to be violent if, if people are being violent to them? There are a couple of pieces that I want to unpack in that. The first being that you know, there were definitely people who were in the crowd that were impacted by police violence who themselves took no action against the police or anybody else. And there's no justification for use of the force against people who are peacefully protesting within that crowd. Uh, and the decision to use tear gas and, and chemical agents on a crowd of people and therefore affect everybody in the crowd is one that um, has been taken too often in Chicago recently. Mm. It requires authorization from the, the police superintendent. And, uh, you know, to my knowledge, prior to this Summer. We just weren't using it in that way in Chicago um, on a consistent basis, the way that it seems to be um, you know, pulled at now uh, fairly consistently. And, and the problem with using things like tear gas is that it's not targeted. It's not trying to ad- address any individual problems that might be happening with the crowd. It impacts everyone, and it stops their ability to continue to have First Amendment um, activity. And then second, you know, many of the videos that we've seen from um, Friday evening happened long after the events that the mayor and the superintendent have identified. So it's long after the crowd is dispersed. There were police officers who targeted um, both people who were out to express themselves and um, journalists who were there to document what had happened. And what we're seeing in part is a, a pattern of um, police being aggressive toward people who are uh, trying to record police activity, mm-hmm. which is another First Amendment right. So we're really concerned about both of those pieces. Yeah, and, and back to you, Brad, when, when you talk about the recourse, or I would say the consequences of the recourse, when, when you have a situation like this that you have some people who, as Karen was saying, were, were not uh, part of, of any, uh, weren't doing any action. They were there. They are peacefully uh, assembling as part of their right. I mean, really, it just comes down to a civil rights lawsuit, or is there something bigger that can be done when, when society sees this uh, and, and politicians or leaders see this to say this is, this is something that uh, needs to change? First of all, the, the city needs to make the decision. It's not going to stop using chemical agents on people who are engaged in protest. So there are policy decisions that are being made. Um, and, and they need to get control over the, the police officers who are on the scene so that they don't um, continue to use violence against people who are, who are protesting. The last bit that I'll, I'll note, and if, if people have been impacted by this, they can, um, I believe Black Lives Matter has an intake form. They can also reach out and do intake through the ACLU. Um, the Monitor is doing a report on police response to First Amendment activity um, in Chicago. The Monitor that is overseeing the consent decree between the state of Illinois and the city of Chicago about the police department's use of force. So people can reach out to us to, to learn how they can potentially share information with the monitor over that decree as well. Yeah. And Brad, I'll ask you the same question just about 
what are what are the beyond just a civil rights lawsuit? What else can we look to as citizens to prevent this from happening? Right, and you know, unfortunately, the legal tools that are available are often inadequate in solving these problems, and that's underscores what a lot of the organizers are calling for in terms of defunding the police and abolishing the police in order to minimize and prevent these constitutional violations from occurring in the first place. Um, and again, to you know, this at this demonstration we saw this past weekend where there was a, a demonstration and an action against a statue that people believe represents historical colonialism and racism and genocide and police physically used violent force against those people there. And so it brings up, I think you're making a good point, brings up larger social issues beyond just the straight legal steps of, of a recourse. You know, we heard, and, and this was on 1A, the show that's on right before us, but they played an excerpt from John Lewis. It was more about how people saw that. And they, they, they felt it was unfair when they saw that. So the whole world is watching concept. And they went to their cities and protest. And it, it bubbled up enough to the politicians in Washington. And it forced Linton, President Johnson at the time to, to make a speech, a powerful speech about it, and, and get the wheels in motion for this kind of thing to stop. I mean, is that something as people look around and see uh, things that are happening around our country? Is that something as well that could be used uh, as a tool? I certainly think that, you know, these examples of, police violence against demonstrators is sort of underscoring these points and emphasizing that to people around the country. And I do think that it, you know, people should be listening to, to what the organizers are calling for and, and really these demands that are calling for wide systemic change. One of the other issues was the city seized personal belongings. They took um, bikes, uh, bags, wallets, things of that nature, and said, you know, the, the mayor talked about that, you you know, there are ways to get that stuff back this week. Well, what t- take me through that, Karen. I, I don't understand the, the, the ability for police in those cases to seize bikes, uh, bags, things of that nature. How does that u- usually work? I, frankly, I don't understand what justification the city used to do it in this instance, and I, I think that um, it raises a lot of uh, legal questions. Certainly, like, you know, the, the effects that are on you at the time of your arrest could be um, cataloged, but it seemed like it went beyond that and that, that bikes were seized. And, and Brad may have more information from having um, had people on the scene. Yeah, Brad? Part of the National Lawyers Guild, we have legal observers who go to document police misconduct at actions. And the reports that we've heard have been people were standing, holding their bikes, and the police just snatching the bikes out from their hands and throwing them in piles. Like Karen mentioned, when people are arrested and their property is is seized as part of their arrest, that's documented. Also, if property is seized for some reason, that's typically inventoried and inventory paperwork is provided to the person, the owner of the, the property. And none of that happened here. And as a matter of law, to seize property, the police must have a legal basis to seize that. Uh, and there must be some sort of due process in order for them to show that they have a lawful basis to hold on to that property. And what we saw here was just indiscriminately police grabbing bikes from people and throwing them in a pile. Um, and we have reports through National Lawyers Guild, and we're trying to negotiate with the, the city to find out how people can get their property back. But we've gotten reports of over 70 bikes that were 
taken from people. Yeah, and it doesn't it doesn't match the the number of people who are arrested, and that's the part that's a head scratcher when you see the, the the photos of the piles of bikes. When that happens, there's also a fear of protesters going to claim their stuff because they're afraid of of how the police reacted in the moment and what kind of legal liability or in fact they might be arrested if they go get their stuff. I mean that's a that's a real concern for a lot of people who who had their their property seized this weekend. Right. And the you know people that were out there and saw the police violence and indiscriminate arrests have a very legitimate concern about how the police might respond. Um and you know through the National Lawyers Guild we're trying to figure out what the process is to get those bikes back and to make sure that we can do that in a way that's safe for people and aren't putting people at at risk. Um, and, but thus far, we've been, you know, spending the whole weekend. And there's lawyers that, that have been on the phone with people in CPD and with the city's offices trying to get answers and more information on that. And it's just not clear. Karen, one of the other issues, and, we, and there have been anecdotal reports of this you've seen on social media where people were um, apprehended. And they were thrown in the back of a paddy wagon and taken to a police station and and not charged with anything. And and they stood they sat there for hours and were released uh, without any arrest. Uh, And in many cases, the people are calling this uh, the way that police uh, across the country are, I guess, handling protesters uh, when they know that they're not going to get prosecuted uh, here in in Cook County. Kim Fox says she's not protesting peaceful or she's not prosecuting peaceful protesters. But this is a way for, I don't even know what you would call it, intimidation or mob arrest, whatever it is. But it's almost this catch and release concept that seems to be bubbling up when it comes to protests around the country and here in Chicago. Yeah, it's really worrisome. And, you know, it, it it is an arrest if the police take you to the station house and bring you in. Even if they don't uh, assert charges against you, it, it, that, you've been arrested. And right now, I think part of the overlay that we need to be thinking about more broadly is the, the reports that there are going to be 150 mm-hmm. federal uh, Department of Homeland Security agents that are coming to Chicago as well. And, you know, th- that overlay creates a great deal of concern that we may be seeing the same type of overreach by the federal government in terms of uh, impacting protests that we've seen in Portland. So this is a really frightening time for our democracy. Being able to engage in First Amendment activity is a bedrock principle for us as a country. And we're seeing at the highest levels um, real pushback against people being able to engage in, in that activity. This goes broader even than, um, you know, the really terrible things that we saw on Friday. Um, I'm worried that we're going to see um, arrests by federal agents um, starting sometime this week or next weekend. Brad, is it legal for police to, to arrest without charge and, and keep people in, in the, the stations for hours on end? For, like Karen said, you know, that seizure, that is an arrest. And... For an arrest, the police have to have probable cause, and it has to be an individualized, particularized probable cause, which means that this may can say this particular person, we reasonably believe that they committed some crime. And what we see at these protests, and we've seen it in a large scale in recent weeks, is police arresting people and releasing them, and likely releasing them because they don't have that probable cause, or releasing them without charges because they can't demonstrate any sort of legal justification or basis to 
have arrested them in the first place. And like Karen said, it's really troublesome and it causes real intimidation tactics to individuals who fear that they might be arrested um, and held with no legal basis. And and as Karen just mentioned, uh, you know, here we're the, the president talking about bringing Homeland Security officers to Chicago. And this is a breaking news story this morning uh, after a tweet last night. But uh, these are the same uh, forces that are uh, in Portland. There's been much uh, written about that. Brad, from your vantage point, is this something that from from the People's Law Office or the National Lawyers Guild that that you're concerned about, Uh, especially you've seen the the way that the uh, police handled the situation this weekend? Yes, that is something that we're that we're very concerned about and have already begun discussing how to be prepared for. You know, we're in the National Lawyers Guild is a national organization with chapters around the country, and we've been in conversations with folks about what's been going on in Portland uh, and the ACLU in Portland has filed a, a lawsuit where the legal observers from national lawyers guild are involved in that litigation. And it's something that we're watching closely and are preparing for this weekend because mm-hmm. we're concerned with, yeah. um, and to follow up, a uh, before when we were discussing the bikes, making, making sure that people understand that if they, had their property seized or were subjected to violence this past weekend, they can contact us at the National Lawyers Guild. And the National Lawyers Guild is collecting that information specifically about the the bikes and other property that was seized in order to try to get those back for people. Brad Thompson is a civil rights and criminal defense lawyer for the National Lawyers Guild and People's Law Office. And Karen Sheely is the director of the Police Practices Project at American Civil Liberties Union for Illinois. Thank you both for joining us today on Reset. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. And that's today's Reset. Want more great conversations with people working to make our city and our neighborhoods a better place to live? Check out WBEZ.org slash Reset. I'm Justin Kaufman. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you right here tomorrow. If you need a break from the news, WBEZ's Nerd App Podcast is here for you. Our show is all about delight. We laugh about what's happening in pop culture and feature thoughtful interviews with fascinating people. We even have a monthly book club. Listen to Nerd App wherever you get your podcasts.